After the Celtics sink the Sixers in Philadelphia, Boston is back on top in the East and on a historic start. But before you map that duck boat parade, you should probably know what happened to all the other teams that started off this hot. We'll take a close look at it. Of the four Celtic regulars who moved on this offseason, it turns out one guy couldn't wait to get out of the green, we'll explain. Plus, whilst Philadelphia thrives, the Clippers are circling the drain. We'll take a look at the mess in Los Angeles and the rest of the teams in the league. The Celtics are number one. Let's revel in it. Come on inside Lucky's Lounge. Let's go. The Boston Celtics get their first signature win of the 23-24 campaign, knocking off the Sixers, and now the Celtics are atop the East and the entire NBA. Good morning, everybody. Captain Ron Flanders here, joined by Guillermo Diaz, back from France and Spain. Guillermo, Celtics won five, lost two. You decided to take a little Spanish and French vacation, and the Celtics ripped off four in a row. Uh, how are you doing? I'm doing well. Hello, everyone. Yeah, good to see the team do a tremendous job winning against the entire division, beating the Nets, the Raptors, the Knicks, and the 76ers to take that top spot in the Eastern Conference. Uh, had a tremendous job. Uh, had a tremendous time over in Europe and uh, got to do a lot of traveling, eating, and seeing different sites around the world. Now, you're making me look bad with, with Mrs. Flanders, uh, but uh, yeah, welcome back. And, um, you know, we'll get back down to business here watching the Celtics uh, from, from your sofa or from the garden pretty soon. But the Celtics had an amazing win. We'll talk about that. Really, everybody's so excited after this win because it sort of quieted a lot of the haters. I mean, there was a lot of angst directed towards Coach Missoula, who I think did a great job on Wednesday night against the 76ers. There were questions about Al Horford and his three-point shot, which had disappeared over the first 10 games of the season. It came back in a big way. Derek White had not been his usual self since the birth of his second son, he came back in a big way. And questions about the bench, well, Jalen Brown and Kristaps Porzingis were unable to play, and some huge bench contributions, including my unsung hero for the game, Delano Banton, who came in and sparked the Celtics to a 17-point lead in the second quarter, Guillermo. Did you get to watch this game? Yeah, I got to watch it. Uh, it was a little late where I was in Europe, but I did get to see it. It was fun to see Brad go kind of unconventional from one what we thought he was going to go with, you know, maybe a Brissett, Um and some of the guys who have gotten to play, of course, like Cornette and Pritchard. But then to throw in Svee Mikhailuk and Banton, I mean, I thought those guys came in and did the job that they were expected to do. They spread the floor with Svee coming in and throwing up a three right away and knocking that down. And I really loved uh, Banton and how he was looking for his offensive game, even though some of it was forced with the air ball three, but I like to see those guys being aggressive and going back and even forcing a turnover against Joel Embiid and, again, having those easy buckets for the Celtics. Yeah, Banton, yeah, Banton didn't have a great shooting night, but he was aggressive. And after the game, he, he said that 
Coach Missoula came to him before the game, both him and Michaela, and said, guys, get ready. You're playing tonight. So this was part of the plan. Obviously, our sixth man looks like Sam Hauser, who by or our seventh man, I should say, is Sam Hauser, who, by the way, was pressed into starting duty. Celtics are one and oh now with Sam Hauser as a starter. But Hauser seven, Pritchard eight and Cornette nine. Mm -hmm. And so, yes, I mean. You know, Banton and, excuse me, uh, Stevens and Brissett had been given an opportunity to play a little bit here and there, but he went with the swingmen going small against the Sixers, and uh, it worked out for them. Yeah, the Sixers are also a small team, especially not having uh, the two guys who played against us the game prior to that, um, Nicola Banton, sorry, Batum, and then also not having Ubre from uh, the car accident that he suffered, uh, they got allegedly allegedly correct. And you know they're a smaller team without those guys, so going small, going fast, and spreading the floor was a perfect idea. It was, and credit to them. This was actually a really bizarre game because the Celtics led by seventeen at one point in the second quarter. And at halftime, they trailed. And at, at halftime, both Joel Embiid and Jason Tatum, two of the plus-minus leaders of the NBA, were a net negative for their respective teams, while some of the bench players did really well. And while Tatum got hot, as he usually does in the fourth quarter, the Celtics would not have won this game if it wasn't for the guy, Guillermo, who you gave the, the Shamrock show out, Derek White, who I think had 14 in the fourth quarter. and. Al Horford, who did an amazing thing for a 37-year-old guy to hit four three-pointers, block five shots, and completely frustrate his former uh, partner in crime there in Joel Embiid. Both of those guys, White and Horford, and not some of the bigger name Celtics, were the keys to this victory. Yeah, I thought Holiday played tremendous as well. I think Hauser didn't play as well as he had been off the bench. But like you said, White, I thought he played tremendous. We knew he and Holiday and even Al maybe a night here or there, they can put up 20, maybe even 30 if needed on any given night. And that's why we really believed in the Super 6. As long as they continue to learn each other and be able to be there when needed. Two guys were out. Other guys came in, stepped up, and were aggressive. And you saw when Derek White would drive and be aggressive that he's drawing the team, the other team's defense towards him, and Tatum was getting wide-open shots uh, from the three. So that was great to see. And then we got to see the Tatum and Horford two-man game with their pick-and-rolls, pick-and-pop, and to just – to see Tatum drive more uh, this season has been awesome to watch. You know, one of the guys that clearly came out to play for the 76ers was Tobias Harris, who had a spring in his step for the game. But he was trying to guard Jason Tatum, and Tatum was giving it to oh, him, yeah. uh, going at him very physical, posting him up, and, and really taking it to him. But as you say, in the fourth quarter – Tatum was driving and kicking, distributing. You know, Jared Weiss of The Athletic observed after the game, Tatum has really changed the way he plays in crunch time. He's becoming the passer that we needed him to be. 
hitting Derek White, hitting Al Horford for three-point shots. I mean, a lot of those were assisted by Jason Tatum, who's really coming into his own as a leader and a playmaker. He doesn't have to be the guy to have 20 in the fourth quarter. I mean, I think White had, like, like I said, 14 in the fourth quarter of this game and Al Horford hitting the dagger shots. But a lot of that was facilitated by Jason Tatum. This is a complete team that really – you know, on any given night, as you say, can have somebody go for 30. But, it, you know, Jason Tatum, just super impressive the way he is letting the game come to him. Guillermo. Yeah, things are really slowing down for Tatum. And I saw that in the playoffs last year. And that's why, um, of course, for everybody, it was really frustrating to lose him that first play in Game 7 of the Eastern Conference Finals. Because you started to see, especially in that Sixer series, he just started to just get everything he wanted. And we saw that even in the finals, they started to, you know, double team him when we played Golden State. And now he's just played so great to move the ball quicker and allow his team to just support him to get those easy shots. I mean... He's also sometimes even a decoy for those guys to be able to get the shots they need to get off. Um, so just to see his game elevate and just take what the defense is giving him. I mean, like you said, the, on the block there, I mean, it's kind of Carmelo, Kobe, McGrady-esque where he's just taking you to the block and he's either going to do a fadeaway or if you bite for that, he's going to you know drive it in and to see him attack the basket more this year has been tremendous to watch. Yeah, please don't mention him in the same breath with with some of those guys who <laughs> I consider to be three uh, overrated stars. But, you know, his, his hero, Kobe Bryant, definitely had that. Those guys definitely were good from that spot. But Tatum could be better than all of them, I think, if he continues to refine this passing skill yeah. that he's showing. Because as a defender, he's clearly one of the best. Our tweet of the week. Sean Grandy, the play-by-play voice of the Celtics, uh, tweeted out, the Celtics now have the NBA's best record, 9-2, and two, number three in offense, number two in defense. They have the best scoring margin in the league and the best net rating. Oh, by the way, he posts, they have four of the top five net ratings in the league. Jason Tatum, number one in the NBA at a net rating of 23.4. Number two, Derek White, 21.9. Number four, Kristaps Porzingis at 17.3. And number five, Drew Holiday at 16.1. Oh, by the way, Peyton Pritchard coming in at number nine in the NBA. So, I mean, this is a history-making start, Guillermo. And Jason Tatum is on the short list for most valuable player right now. Of course, we do have 71 more games to go. Yeah, and I... Love his approach about it. Does he want the MVP? Sure, he would want the MVP, but he knows his team needs to be first place doing astronomical things and make it more about the team-esque. I want him to be the MVP for the team and do the things that he's doing, winning basketball. And then that stuff was just going to come with the winning basketball, if they're able to continue to be dominant and figure things out, they played the Sixers the week prior and they had lost, especially coming off of the net, uh, the loss against the Timberwolves in overtime. 
they faced that you know somewhat of adversity that they needed after some blowout wins then they got back on track against teams who you know not really in playoff contention did some play up blowout wins there and then played against a solid Knicks team who gave them fits on opening night and were able to get that revenge against the Sixers uh, from the Wednesday prior. They are also nine and two with the NBA champion Denver Nuggets. But I mean, this team is looking tremendous. Even Joel Embiid said post game, they're the best team in the league. Do you agree with that statement? I, of course, I I think they're the best team of the league. That is biased to me, of course. But just overall, if we're looking at the rest of the NBA, the only team that will match up, I think, is the Denver Nuggets. I would love to see that matchup uh, once that comes because I want to see KP and Al versus against Jokic and then see how the guards and even the forwards play against Porter Jr., Gordon and Murray. Well, the the NBA power rankings from all the media organizations have the Nuggets and the Celtics 1-2 or 2-1. And obviously, Grandy pointing out that the Celtics have been better on defense, number two in the NBA, than they have been on offense. And they're still learning each other. It is very tantalizing and exciting to see what the possibilities are. Nine and two, Guillermo. I, I looked at the best starts through 11 games, because of course, you know, one of the measuring sticks for this team that a lot of people are talking about on X is the 2008 team, which was the last championship team for the Celtics. They started 10 and one over their first 11 mm. games and obviously went on to win 66 and win the championship. But I looked and I, I looked into this to see all of the teams in the NBA that started nine and two or better. And just to see, you know, what does this portend for the Celtics? Because a lot of people, Guillermo, are already making their reservations for the duck boat parade, and it may be a little premature. And I, there's a few things that I want to point out that I think that you will find very interesting. Okay, go ahead, hit us. In the 77-year history of the association, 11 teams started out 11-0. and 0. Did you know no. that? Wow, okay, 11, 11-0, okay. 11 teams won their first 11 games. Do you know how many of those teams went on to win the championship, Guillermo? Zero. Three. Okay. So eight teams did not win the championship after winning their first 11 games. Now, some of these teams only had two rounds of playoffs. Mm. But there were two Celtic teams that went 11-0 and to start out. Um, but one team that you might remember that won their first 11 games ended up 73 and nine. And that was Steph Curry and the golden state warriors. And you might remember they lost in game seven to LeBron James, Kyrie Irving and the Cavaliers. Yep. That's true. Uh, The two Celtic teams that went 11 and 0 were the 1958 Boston Celtics who absolutely should have won the championship, but Bill Russell severely sprained his ankle in game three of the NBA finals And they went on to lose to the St. Louis Hawks in six games. And by the way, Bill Russell won eight championships in a row after that. If it wasn't for that ankle injury, he likely would have won 10 championships in a row. But my point being, and this will be a recurring theme with these teams, 
you can have great starts all you want. You must have health. And the Celtics did not have it in 1958. The other Celtic team that went 11 and 0 was the 1965 Celtics. And you might remember that team from the Havlicek stole the ball in game seven at the Boston garden against the Philadelphia uh, Warriors. I guess, yeah, it was Philadelphia Warriors or Wilt Chamberlain. Uh, and they won that. And then they went on to beat the Lakers in five games in the finals. Now, how many teams do you think out 77 years in the league, just rough guesstimate have gone 10 and one? I'll go six. Well, 11 went 11 and 0. Mm-hmm. Okay. So 46 teams oh, wow. have gone 10 and one. So almost one a year. Okay. A little less than one a year. Okay. And, uh, of those 46 teams that won 10 of their first 11 games, how many would you say went on to win the championship? I'll go one this time. 14. Okay. Okay. So about, uh, that's exactly one out, 25% of the teams that won 10 of their first 11 won the championship. That's not a very good rate. No, not, not, not at all. Uh, the Celtics of those 46 had seven teams that went 10 and one most recently the bubble Celtics, mm. the team with Kemba Walker, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, Al Horford and uh, Gordon Hayward. But we all know that they lost in the Eastern conference finals to the Miami heat. Right. Gordon Hayward was not healthy. He had a sprained ankle. Kemba Walker's knee was hurting. We can make excuses all we want. Celtics were not healthy. I think, I maintain that if they were, they would have won the championship, but they lost that season. The two, and they only finished 48-24 and 24 that season. So they, they started out very hot, but injuries slowed them down. Uh, the 2008 Boston Celtics, though, were one game better than this Porzingis holiday version of the Celtics. They went 10-1 and one and went on to win 66 games and blow out the Lakers in the final. So it is good to start out hot, but you got to have health. And, uh, and that's a key few other teams that did it. Uh, the 1973 Celtics and the 1973 Knicks both started 10 and one. The Celtics won 68 games in 1973 after going 10 and one and did not win because in game three of that Eastern conference finals, John Havlicek dislocated his shoulder and it was curtains for the Celtics. They probably would have, that Tommy Heinsohn coach team probably would have won, and they did win the following year. But another recurring theme here, Guillermo, a key injury cost the Celtics. So I, I don't want to belabor this, but this, I will say this. This is the third time for Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown to go at least nine and two, because not only in 2020, when they went 10 and one and this year where they're nine and two, but also in 2018, Gordon Hayward and Kyrie Irving Celtics for the first time, first game, Gordon snaps his leg, you know, snaps his ankle. The Celtics lose that game. Then they rip off, I think eight, seven or eight in a row. They, they started out nine and two. Then Kyrie gets hurt. And obviously Terry Rozier and the gang, go all the way to the game seven of the Eastern conference finals. 
but did not win. So this is not new for Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. They've gone nine and two three times, Guillermo. Yeah, this is new in the sense of it's a different team and there's different, I think, stakes this time. I think they know it's championship or nothing. And we've put pieces around two players that are mature now all-star caliber players, all NBA type players. And I think they know what's at stake and they've grown up a lot since those, you know, teams that they had in the past and they've learned from it. And health is going to be key for any team to win the NBA championship. So I like that through 11 games, KP's only missed the one game and Brown as well. I think that's it, Guillermo. I mean, the championship or bust nature of this season, I think makes it a little bit different. You want your players to have an even keel and understand that it's only 11 games. And this team, I think, gets it. First of all, Al Horford knows this is probably his last shot at a winner. Jason Tatum, that first year that they went 9-2, uh, and two, he was a teenager. He was the number four option on that team. And then the 2020 team, you know, they went 10-1, and one, but – you know, they learned from that that you got to be healthy and you got to finish strong. I mean, since then, they've had some really bad heartbreaks, including last year and then the year before that with the Warriors championship. So they're not going to take anything for granted, Guillermo. But I do think they also understand that like the 2008 team, this can be a historically dominant team. And I, I think they're having so much fun and still learning each other. They're going to press forward, and I wouldn't want to be playing them on any given night. Yeah, I mean, this team throws different things at you. I mean, they are playing that press coming out the gate sometimes and throwing teams off and making teams, you know, falter on with the 24-second shot clock. And It's savvy players who know what it takes to get the job done who have been ones, twos, and even threes on different teams, know how to take care of their body, and just are all in in terms of getting the job done night in, night out. We saw White be aggressive last game, especially Coach telling him to be aggressive. And just checking some of the box scores, you know, I've, I see Holiday all over it, leading the team five times throughout these 11 games in rebounds and five times uh, throughout the games with assists and also double digit rebounds. Um, so just to see that guy doing all the little things you want to see and not to hurt your feelings cap, but he is a better version of Marcus. Mar. He's everything we wanted Marcus Mark to be. He just settles the team down and does everything it takes to make sure the team is playing well in any given moment. Even the most staunch and stalwart Marcus Smart backer, which I am, can acknowledge that. I mean, there's no there's no shame in that. Drew Holiday, multiple time All Star, first team All Defensive Team. I mean, I he is a smarter in terms of basketball IQ guy. He does make winning plays like Marcus. Um, no, he and I've said it several times on this show that he is in many ways our most valuable player, and. He does everything that we need done so that the other guys can can do what they need, which is score and be in the and make the defensive plays. You know, Drew puts them in great positions both offensively and defensively. 
and and it really is a joy to see. Well, when we come back, we're going to talk about the budding bromance between Drew Holiday and Christoph Porzingis, and also the four guys that left the team last season, all beloved by Celtic faithful, Rob, Grant, Brogdon. Who was the other one again, Guillermo? Oh, yeah, Marcus Smart. Four <laughs> guys we loved. One of them, though, couldn't wait to get out of Beantown. We'll tell you who when we come back. You are listening to Lucky's Lounge Podcast. Stay right there. Welcome back to Lucky's Lounge, the home of Celtic fanatics around the world. Guillermo, it's great to be back with the fans after a little hiatus, giving you some time with the misses. Uh, it's great to be back with the Celtics on top, but we really want to thank you, the fans, for listening to us, continuing to spread the word about this podcast to your like-minded green teamers, and please continue to give us positive reviews, positive five-star ratings on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen to podcasts. We really appreciate it. And uh, Guillermo, you saw some fans out there, didn't you? Some Celtic fans out in uh, Spain and France? Yeah, saw some people representing the Celtics out there in Spain and France, but overall, for the most part, what I was seeing were people rocking Laker gear, and then on top of that, rocking Laker gear with a New York Yankee hat. So made me want to vomit, made me want to make sure that the Celtics you know, are getting their praise by winning a banner this year, hopefully. I see these people wearing, you know, Yankee hats, red Yankee hats, purple Yankee hats. It's like the the pink Red Sox hat. I mean, it's 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 disgusting. You know, these weird fashion statements uh, shows you what kind of fans they are. It makes me want to almost pull out a NATO when you see these countries with the large percent. Just kidding. Just kidding. If, if my bosses are listening. But yeah, I mean, Lakers. Listen, the Lakers internationally are. Bigger than we are, I hate yeah, to say. Yeah, they are. Uh, they're big in Asia, obviously, with the, the Kobe Bryant worship out there. Uh, but they're also pretty big in Europe as well. We do have some some big pockets of fans in Europe. Uh, Portugal right now is becoming Celtic country, right? I mean, the first ever Portuguese player, uh, Nemias Queda, is is a Celtic, and obviously Latvia is now Celtic country. So. Um, you know, it's it's a good time to be a Boston Celtic fan, and and uh, those fans wearing that Lakers stuff uh, either aren't basketball fans or they're not very happy right now because the Lakers are off to a rather pedestrian six and six start. Uh, speaking of Latvia, though, Guillermo Kristaps Porzingis, the Celtics putting out their injury report on Thursday and listing both Jalen Brown once again questionable with a non-COVID related illness. Kristaps Porzingis. Still, after getting, uh, let's say, getting bruised by Julius Randle mm. at uh, Madison Square Garden, he is still questionable with a knee bruise. So they may not play tonight against the Toronto Raptors. Um, but if they don't, uh, let's hope that they're, they, they both are on the trip and they're, they're with the team. And heck, they may be hanging out together because uh, they're developing a fast friendship, Guillermo. Yeah, good to see those guys having, one, the play they're having on the court with their pick and pop and pick and roll uh, tenacity when they're playing on the court, but also in a post game or in a post 
practice interview, we got to see Jalen Brown talk about KP and how he lives in the same building as him, and they're always yeah. kind of seeing. Well, let's let's listen to that now. This is courtesy of NBC Sports Boston. My one of my favorites, one of your favorites, one of everybody's favorites. Abby Chin asking Jalen about something that we have all noticed on the court, which is the chemistry between number eight and number seven, Jalen and KP getting along on the court and off. Here's Abby Chin and Jalen Brown. Oh, it's been great. You know, we, uh, on the court, we've been able to develop some actions that have been, been pretty good going forward. They got to make a choice between either stopping me or stopping him, which you guys have seen a little bit of that. But off the court, has been a joy too. We live in the same building, so been able to spend some time riding back from the airport when I'm more never KP is hilarious. He's a, it's funnier than you, probably, you all think, but he, he, he's a good guy. In what way? He's just funny, you know, just who he is. You know, he's just, every time he sees you, like, winks at you, you know, like, she winking at me for man. <laughs> the assembled Celtic press corps getting a kick out of that uh, Jalen Brown joke there. I guess, you know, in Latvia, winking means I'm having a blast playing for the best team in the NBA and you're my guy. Whereas in the U S I mean, I think we almost had like a cam Thomas moment there, you know? Um, but, uh, it doesn't mean anything, Jalen. It's just a good natured friendship, I guess. Yeah. Great to see those guys build that camaraderie and for KP to just feel so comfortable with the Celtics. I think he's having the time of his life. It's the easiest basketball he's probably played ever and he's just enjoying himself you can see his smile on each uh post game even pre-game presser the guy is smiling ear to ear and just enjoying the the process of learning uh celtic basketball with these guys of course he is thrilled not only to be a boston celtic but he was a wizard a few months ago okay i mean getting out of washington is like kp just went from the you know the doghouse to the penthouse. There's I don't know if there's a a uh, a better transition in the NBA than going from Washington to Boston. But uh, he 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 must feel like he's died and gone to heaven. Yeah, let's continue to have it translate on the court. He's been tremendous so far with being with this team and being that that third consistent scorer that we need throughout the season. KP is averaging 1.9 assists per game, which is not near his high. I think he had more than that in Washington playing with Bradley Beal and and more in in past seasons. But it's clear that Jalen Brown and KP, as Jalen alluded to there, they're working on some things on the court that are going to be very hard for teams to deal with, and it's already bearing fruit. Joe Mazzulla likes to take Jason Tatum out as the first Celtic to go to the bench. So in the first quarter, what we typically see around the six-minute mark is Tatum and Drew or Tatum and Derek going to the bench, and that gives Jalen Brown the opportunity to be the primary scorer with Kristaps Porzingis in pick and roll. And what you're seeing there is KP setting picks for Jalen and Jalen being able to thrive attacking the basket and often throwing it either behind his back on a bounce pass to KP or just throwing it back to KP to hit three point shots, but also an action where Jalen Brown throws it to KP and then comes around 
either for a dribble handoff or he he keeps going and KP has been hitting him with some, you know, I mean, Scalabrini called him almost like a Jokic type passer on a couple of these plays. I didn't know Porzingis could pass like this, but he and, and Jalen have been connecting and it's a beautiful thing. Yeah, we're seeing Jalen Brown throw him lobs. Um, we're seeing KP and Jalen Brown being able to have that pick and pop game that you were talking about. And it's just going to open that up for JB and not have it be so forced uh, as he has been throughout his career. I think, yes, he can still have that power, but just have the game open up for him even that much more. The Celtics number three offense in the league, and the guy that has unlocked it clearly is Kristaps Porzingis and all of the matchup problems that he creates and the way that he's able to play off of both Jalen Brown and to some extent as well Derek White. It's a beautiful thing to see. Defensively, number two, and Porzingis has made them a better defensive team as well in drop coverage and with his length, it's been amazing. But Drew Holiday, defensively, he has been the guy to unlock that for the Celtics because he has guarded Joel Embiid. He has guarded Julius Randle. He has guarded, you know, pretty much the best player for every team the Celtics have played. I would expect him to continue to do that. And uh, it's just beautiful to see what these two guys have done to make the Celtics a juggernaut so far. Now, We've talked about this, the Celtics bringing in these two star players, and they are stars, but in the process, losing Rob Williams, Grant Williams, Malcolm Brogdon, and Marcus Smart. And, you know, so far, the Celtics' depth has held up. And in in the Philadelphia game, you know, we saw some unsung heroes in that game. But that does not change the fact that Celtic Nation still misses all four of these guys. I mean, they were great players for the Celtics, great role players or just solid guys, great in the community. Marcus Smart was great in the community. So was Rob Williams. I mean, we still miss all four of these guys, but apparently at least one of these players did, did not want to remain a Celtic. And of the four, it's a little surprising to me that Grant Williams wanted out. This was revealed this past week on the Kenny Beecham podcast. Kenny Beecham, big Chicago Bulls guy, also known as KOT4Q, NBA 2K guy, um, pretty pretty famous podcaster. He has a great podcast. He interviewed Grant Williams this past week about the situation in restricted free agency and what Grant Williams wanted to get out of that. Listen to this. With the Celtics, did you, you feel like, they were going to let you hit restrict the free agency, but ultimately they were going to let you end up on a different team? Or did you go into the offseason thinking like, I'm going to be a Boston Celtic for the next four years or so? Whatever that Magic Johnson uh, meme is, let's just I'm, say that. I'm not going to be here. <laughs> <laughs> People walking here. We've been talking about next year and I'm sitting there saying, I'm not going to be here. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly how uh, was going into it right okay but is that from your perspective or just I guess seeing the writing on the wall uh, obviously they made a lot of decisions with you and, and Rob Williams being out with Marcus Smart being out and they bring it in um Porzingis and Drew Holiday so was it that was how you felt or did you just see the writing on the wall if they wanted to maybe go a different direction oh no that's how I felt I kind of like worked my 
my way here to Dallas. Okay. So, word, word. Um, it wasn't necessarily because of the guys or anything. It was, you know, it's just it's time for the next step in your development stage. And I knew that, you know, being in Boston, I knew kind of what the moves they were going to make was going to be because they wanted me to come back. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember uh, Brad wasn't the happiest when I, when I wasn't uh, really uh, likely to come back to Boston. So, um, but I wanted to make the best, you know, opportunity for me to take this step to Dallas. I had a couple other teams that were in mind. It's funny because your favorite team was on that list yeah. and uh, just didn't work out. But um, I would say that, yeah, I kind of was happy that I was able to get here to Dallas and we've been working on it for, you know, a while. So I got to say, Guillermo, I was, I don't know what to, I didn't know what to think when I heard this interview. I mean, clearly Grant Williams is very happy to be playing with Luka Doncic and Kyrie Irving down in Big D. I I had no idea that he was considering going to the Chicago Bulls. I mean, he wanted to play for the Bulls instead of the Celtics. What are your thoughts about this interview? Um, Grant Williams is the only guy of the four that is currently healthy. Three of them are on the injured list. Rob's out for the year. Marcus is could be out for a while with a with a bad ankle injury. Um, hope all three of those guys have a speedy recovery. And, and, you know, I wish Grant the best. He was my second favorite player when he was here. I was a little surprised to hear this, though. What are your thoughts? I'm not too surprised to hear it, actually. I know he and Joe kind of had their back and forth over the last couple of years. And there were games where we were kind of perplexed as to why Grant wouldn't play or he would get less minutes than he was kind of accustomed to when he w- was here with Ime. So just to not kind of fit what he wanted from Joe or his probably his talkative nature not really fitting to what Joe needed from him. And consistency-wise, you know, you would get good games from him, but then you would also get bad games from him, and you still see that uh, playing with Kyrie and Luca over there in, in Dallas. So I was okay with, with moving on from him. I fall in love with all my Celtics players and, you know, saw him here the four years and what he contributed, especially to reaching the finals and, and winning a couple games against the Warriors. But I just knew he and Joe didn't mesh well and he would price himself out and, the Celtics kind of had had that history of kind of that big power forward tweener-esque, right? We had uh, Jared Selinger. We had Big Baby Davis. We had Brandon Bass. And then I we got to see, you know, Grant Williams fit that mold and even develop the three-point shot and fit what was kind of needed for the team, but then not be able to play against the bigs like we see Drew Holiday doing uh, versus Randall. So just it was time to move on from him. I think, again, that talkative nature and just thinking he had to do more than what he had to kind of rub things the wrong way here. Yeah, I mean, I'm not surprised in the sense that he was not getting the the playing time that he wanted and there was something there with Missoula. I also noticed the change in Grant Williams last season, he, he was more combative on the court. He argued with referees. I think he got suspended for a game for, for pushing one of the female referees or something like that. Um, he seemed, his personality um, seemed to change a little bit. 
but he's always been a really good three and D player, a guy that gave Giannis fits at times. He would be a guy that we might need in a Milwaukee series or a Miami series, but let's look at the bright side here. I mean, and Grant Williams and the Mavericks have gotten off to a great start. I mean, they're one of the top teams in the West right now, but for us, you know, had we signed him to whatever his market value was at the time, which was what about 12 million a year. Correct. I, I don't know what that does in terms of our ability to get Drew Holiday or, you know what I mean? So, and in the trade with the Mavericks, the Celtics did receive a $6.2 million trade exception, which the Celtics can use if they need to add a big man later this season. And that's something that Brad has in his back pocket, along with the war chest of second round picks and first round picks that he that he has. So Boston is in a good position. Yeah, they lost Grant Williams, but you know, you never want people on your team that don't want to be on your team, right? I mean, if he was going to be a malcontent because of his minutes, maybe it's better that we move on with him. I mean, O'Shea Brissett is nowhere near the player that Grant is, but I think we're okay. What, what do you, I mean, right? Yeah, I think for us, Hauser stepped up into that role, right? He had started a few games last year, started to contribute a little bit more last year, even off the bench. And then I think he slipped into that role. I saw a comparison between he and Hauser this year, and they're pretty much about the same. Um, so I'm okay with moving on from him, having Hauser. I know we love Hauser and what he's been able to contribute. This year, he's shooting tremendous. He's even playing great defense because they think they can all take on the white boy. But he's solid in that role. And then we have other players that we can kind of fill in the Hauser roles, whether it's a Lamar Stevens any night, Banton, Svi, um, and even Brissett if, if needed. Yeah, I mean, Hauser is a really good defender for us. He Maybe he can't deal with the bigs. I think Grant could guard the bigger players a little bit better, but Hauser is is doing that. And, you know, so Grant, wish you the best. Brad Stevens has a TPE in his back pocket. I just found it a little bit surprising because you know that Marcus Schmatt is devastated to not be a Celtic right now. It's got to be especially painful for him that the Grizzlies are two and nine and the Celtics are nine and two. And all of his boys are laughing it up and, and having a great time winning um, because he he helped build this team. And he was he was the heart and soul for so long. Rob Williams, same thing. I mean, Jason Tatum and him extremely close. And, and Malcolm Brogdon, as we saw, did not want to leave because he's a winner. He wants to be competing on a championship. And so now, you know, three of those guys are on losing teams. Looks like Memphis could be headed to the lottery. But Grant Williams, uh, everything is coming up roses for him so far. We'll see. We wish him the best. But, uh, you know, I think the Celtics are doing just fine. Well, when we come back, we'll take a look at the main Celtics. What's going on down on the farm? And Draymond Green, is he auditioning for the WWE? If he keeps pissing off Steve Kerr, you might see him on Monday Night Raw pretty soon. Stay tuned. You're listening to Lucky's Lounge Podcast. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Lucky's Lounge. Guillermo, we'll be watching the Celtics from here inside the lounge because they're 
on game two tonight of their four game road trip north of the border up there in Canada. Um, so if you're looking for some live basketball, you're jonesing to see the Celtics in action. You can head up to Portland tonight. It's the home opener there at the Expo building. And uh, the main Celtics kicking off their home season. They're 0-2 to start the season. But, Guillermo, some pretty exciting things going on with the youngsters. Yeah, good to see Jordan Walsh getting into a groove. And J.D. Davison uh, continuing his development. And Knight and Stewart to see those guys. Yes, they faltered the first two games, but to see those guys starting to get a, a feel for the game and gel with one another in that development, that's good to watch. Another guy I didn't realize we had was Tony Snell, the former Bulls and Bucks player, uh, is a veteran there that that's doing some things for, for Maine. So if you're in the neighborhood or you want to jump on the train and go up to Portland, uh, I think it's worth checking out. As Guillermo pointed out, the Celtics were losers to the Capital City Go-Go's in the first game and the Westchester Knicks in the second game. So losing to the Wizards and Knicks farm clubs, respectively. In that opening game of the D-League season or the G-League season, as it were, uh, you saw Jordan Walsh hit four three-pointers in that first game. He's averaging 15 and a half points over his first two games. And Guillermo, I don't know if you saw the, cl the clips but Walsh is shooting with confidence, and his stroke looks even better than it did in the summer league in the preseason. Yeah, I got to see some of the highlights. Yeah, he's shooting with confidence. He knows that's what they want him to work on and develop. And that's going to also be someone down the line who potentially could, you know, fill that role that Grant created for himself and maybe even take over for Al Horford uh, once he, you know, decides to hang him up. Well, it's been positive to see, and, and we'll see what he's able to do tonight. Another guy, as you mentioned, J.D. Davison, he's probably getting sick of Portland. He w probably wants his shot in Boston. If he keeps playing like this, he may get it. Over his first two games for the Celtics up there in Maine, 26 points, nine and a half assists, and six and a half rebounds for J.D. Davison. He has been balling to start out. Yeah, and that's what the league is for, right? Is to develop these guys, these young guys that aren't going to get minutes in the NBA. And that's great to see. It's great to have Brad pick those guys, and hopefully they can find a niche for themselves to be able to come up here and maybe do some spot starts, spot minutes not down the, the stretch here where we want to make sure we protect some of the minutes for the starters. The others, uh, we have Namias Keda, who is off the injured list and could play tonight for the Celtics north of the border. But the other two-way guy is Nathan Knight, the former Timberwolf. Uh, he's going to be playing tonight for Portland. And DJ Stewart, who's not on a two-way, but is he remained with our club and he had 17 in that first game. So a lot of positives there and uh, some exciting basketball to be played in Portland. Item number two on Lucky's list, and it involves a guy that the Celtics know very well and, and uh, who helped defeat the Celtics in the 2022 NBA finals, Draymond Green, a suspension handed down by the league office for the brouhaha in San Francisco the other night as Draymond Green, two minutes into the game, 
put Rudy Gobert into a sleeper hold. I thought I was watching Jimmy Superfly Snooker there for a second. <laughs> um, a five-game suspension for Draymond Green, and Steve Kerr is pissed, Guillermo. He, he called uh, Draymond's actions unacceptable. The, the suspension was deserved. And uh, it comes at a bad time for the Warriors, who have now lost five in a row. And uh, with Steph Curry also banged up, the Warriors cannot afford to have Draymond out. Although some people are saying, Guillermo, that when Steph is out, Draymond intentionally tries to get suspended or benched because he can't play without him. Uh, your thoughts on this situation? Yeah, we saw Gobert make a comment uh, kind of hinting to that. Uh, and I hadn't really thought about it or really seen it until he mentioned that. And I saw some of the clips and some of the reports, you know, put together to where he's gotten himself ejected because Curry's not in that game. Uh, for what transpired the other night, I think it was ugly to see. It all started with Clay uh, kind of being dirty against McDaniels. Um, so I just, I've never been a fan of Clay, but just to see some of that dirty stuff starting there and then for it to escalate to where, I mean, Draymond had to put Gobert in a headlock and a bunch of memes came out after that, but just, that's not what I want to see for basketball. I know that's, you know, back in the day type of stuff with the bad boy Pistons, but that's not what you want to see for basketball. Well, earlier in the show, we talked about Draymond's team in 2016 that started 11-0 and and did not win the NBA championship after going 73-9. and One of the reasons for that might have been with a 3-1 lead uh, in the series, Draymond, I think, didn't he punch LeBron in the nuts or something like that? He earned a one-game suspension, and they went on to lose that game, and then things kind of spiraled out of control. Draymond has, you know, Adam Silver acknowledged that the suspension would have been less if it was another player. If, if Luke Cornett does this or Porzingis or something, it, it's probably a three-game suspension. But Draymond's past history is always factored in, which is why he gets the bigger suspensions. Now, the sleeper hold that he put on Gobert got me thinking about WWE, because like Sean Grandy, I, I have a passion for professional wrestling as well. And I wanted to ask you, which NBA player or players besides Draymond Green do you think would do well in the in uh, the WWE? Oh, wow. That's a curveball there. I think LeBron would do well in the WWE. And I would also maybe put... Oof, wow. Um, maybe a Siakam, somebody who's tall and lanky. LeBron's a good one because he's just such a good actor and he's got such a <laughs> – well, I, I, I got to say, I didn't see the, the, the Space Jam movie. He, he's a good flopper, let's put it that way. Mm -hmm. um, but I could see he, he's the perfect diva for a situation like that. I've got three names. I, and, you know, it Go was ahead. a curveball and you didn't have time to prepare, but – Three that popped to mind for me, because it's not just the athleticism and the 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 brute strength, but it's also you know what kind of characters could you make out of them. So I've got right. Stephen Adams, Zion, and Marcus Smart <laughs> as possible guys for WWE. 
I'll, I'll throw some other names in there. Jimmy Butler, Giannis, <laughs> Giannis Antetokounmpo, and Cat Carl Anthony Towns. Ooh, that that is that that's pretty interesting. Well, uh, let's see how the Warriors do. Again, they've lost five in a row to drop to third in the Pacific Division. And uh, unless they get Steph back and I mean, this could I actually think this could be good for the Warriors because it's that sort of us against the world mentality. And I do think that, you know, with Steph being out, Chris Paul is getting a chance to to do some things with the second unit guys. And it forces guys like Jonathan Kaminga to step up. So maybe this ends up being a good thing. But if I'm a Warriors fan, I'm starting to get tired of Draymond's antics. Yeah, I mean, Moody can step up now. I know Wiggins has struggled this year so far. I I thought that was something that really heavy, uh, weighed heavily on them when they went to re-sign him for $100 million this offseason, this past offseason. And Clay's contract is coming up after this season. Um, so they really have to figure out where their direction is going as these guys are getting – higher in age and I mean for God's sake the guy punched his own teammate before the teammate got traded so what what do we expect well what do we expect although I do commend him for for doing that with, um, oh man with with that that Washington Wizards guard who will remain unnamed because he's killing my fantasy who, team yeah who you I, have I, on your fantasy <laughs> team by the way by the way for all the, all of you guys that uh, are intrigued by fantasy sports or just you know like this show the Solana Shamrocks are currently leading Lucky's Locos 458 to 428. Guillermo and I are, are going at it for the first time ever in our league. We're both huge Celtic fans in this 10-team league, but we have to play each other once or twice in the season. And I have Jason Tatum on my team. He has Derek White and Jalen Brown. Um, this one's coming down to the wire, and we'll let you know next week how, how that game ended up. Item number three on Lucky's list. And it involves a guy that we just can't stop talking about on this show, James Harden and the Los Angeles Clippers. Since the Clippers made the deal with the 76ers, the Sixers have taken off to be the number two team in the East. The Clippers, Guillermo, 0-6. And since James Harden has been on the court for them, they've lost all five games. Uh, one of the accounts that we follow on X is called Hubie Talks Hoops, which is a parody account kind of imitating Hubie Brown. He calls this this big four that they've got of Westbrook, Harden, Kawhi, and Paul George, he calls them the unextendables. I think that nickname's gonna stick. It's it's pretty apropos. Uh, that's a good that's a good nickname. I like that. I mean, this is just not gonna work, especially not in the short amount of time he's been there. Oh and six. I've saw some of the Shaq and the Fool stuff. I mean, they're just not playing really well. It's going to take time for that team to gel. We can possibly see where they're at towards the end of the season after the All-Star break, but these guys don't play a ton of games in terms of Kawhi and Paul George. So for them to build that continuity, I just don't see it this season. And then they're getting a new arena next season. I think that's why they made that splash, but I just don't see this team really figuring it out in the in the West, which is a gauntlet uh, right now. I'm a little surprised to see them lose their first six. Now, 
I think the last loss they had was at Denver, and they nearly won that, so they are getting better. This has got to be the hardest coaching job in the NBA right now, and Tyron Lue had this thrown on him. Steve Ballmer probably had something to do with this trade, and, you know, there's one basketball and, and four guys there that the two guys certainly in Westbrook and Harden that want the ball in their hands all the time. Um, I, I think they'll figure it out maybe and, and, and could go on a little bit of a run, but how far back will they be at that point? And the thing is, is that let's not forget that James Harden was the NBA's most improved player, I want to say, or sixth man of the year with the Oklahoma City Thunder when they went to the NBA Finals. And he bailed on them because he wanted to be a starter and he wanted to have the team built around him. And he's had, there was a great rant that I think the Houston Rockets or Dallas Mavericks broadcaster, one of their TV color guy did on the Harden thing a couple of days ago, where he kind of went through all of the things that Harden demanded. Mm -hmm. He demanded to be the guy, you know, he wanted to go to Houston. He, he demanded to have D'Antoni as his coach. He wanted to be reunited with Daryl Morey. He wanted to be traded here and there. He's always got what he's wanted, and, and it's never been good enough. Tyron Lu, I think, could bench him, not as a punishment, but I think he might work as him being the, the sixth man and kind of running the show with, with Norm Powell, Terrence Mann, and those guys. But Harden's got too much of an ego. He's kind of a narcissist, and, uh, and that is going to sink the Clippers, I'm afraid. That's fine. Let the, let the Clippers clip themselves. I mean, they already screwed up our offseason. I'm not worried about them. Um, and I just don't think that will happen, like you said, with his big ego, him coming off the bench right now. I, as, after leading the league in assists last year, I just don't see it. I, and I saw also a report where they've spoken to Bones Highland and told them, he was going to have to take a back seat. So that's a player to watch down the line as well. Yeah, take a back seat for, for six days while they figure things out, um, which which they're trying to do. Um, I don't, and, and, you know, as far as them ruining our offseason, did they ruin our offseason? You know, everything works out for a reason. Sure. Who knows what would have happened had that trade gone through? Would we have Drew Holiday right now? Who knows? Um, so we're, I think, you know, not as mad at the Clippers as we used to be, but he, item number four on Lucky's list might make us a little bit chafed at the Clippers. The Indiana Pacers have agreed to waive Daniel Tice. The Pacers playing pretty well and doing better than anybody expected, but Daniel Tice, for some reason, not getting to play for Rick Carlisle and the Pacers, so they are waiving him, and once he clears waivers, he is expected to sign with the Los Angeles Clippers, who, as we talked about last week, lost Mason Plumley Plumley for several weeks with a knee injury. So Daniel Tice to the Clippers. I know a lot of Celtic fans were salivating over the possibility that he might be a free agent and the Celtics could bring him back. But Tice wants to play, so he'll be in L.A., Guillermo. Yeah, that's a good fit for him. I, I'm happy he's getting the opportunity to play. I would have loved for him to come back to the Celtics, but he's just not going to be able to find minutes with, you know, the development and the confidence we've put in Cornette. And I think Cornette has started to play well 
uh, you know, the last few games. So I'd stick with Cornette. We always had foul trouble with Daniel Tice and him and the refs kind of just giving him those phantom fouls sometimes. But uh, kudos to him and good luck to him out there with the Clippers. They need him. Well, you know, Daniel Tice, like like former Celtic Dennis Schroeder, who we will see tonight in Toronto, is a European champion. He's mm. playing very well, just like Schroeder. You know, Cornette has done well this year in his role. And unlike Daniel Tice, Cornette will sit on the end of the bench happily and help his team win any way he can. Tice wants to play more. Offensively, Cornette's been doing some things quite well, but defensively, he's almost got this, you know, Ennis freedom or Ennis Cantor sort of thing where when he gets attacked, he does not offer very much resistance there for a, a seven-footer. And Tice at 6'9 does challenge and block shots and do things, but it's not to be uh, he will be with the Clippers. I think we're setting a record here on Lucky's List because item number five is about the Clippers as well. And this one, um, you know, nothing surprises me with the Clippers, Guillermo, because as you know, I grew up in San Diego and the Clippers were my second favorite team because they were the local team. They were the home team before they moved to L.A. in the mid 80s. And they have maybe and there's no maybe they have the worst history. I think of any franchise in the NBA. I mean, it's just, it's almost like the Keystone cops, but this one I think takes the cake. Lou Williams, the former NBA sixth man of the year, a guy who played for the Clippers, the Lakers, the Hawks, many other teams, uh, a journeyman scorer, um, but a very good scorer uh, during his time in the NBA admitted in a recent interview Let's see. He was on the From the Point podcast, which is Trey Young's podcast. You know, Lou has very deep ties in the Atlanta community, which we'll touch on in a second. But basically, he said, look, you know, the Clippers, we didn't even want to go to the bubble. Mentally, we went into it without the right mindset. We didn't even want to be there. And I think once we got there, we were in. We really did not see the pot of gold at the end. We started hearing rumors that no one would respect the championship. So we took our foot off the gas. Um, I lost a lot of respect. I didn't have much for him to begin with, but that's, if you're a Clipper fan, I mean, that's a crushing blow to your soul because they really were a great team that year. Yeah, that's awful to hear. Like, just because it was in the bubble, they kind of, gave up on the season and I still chastise my Laker friends and say it was a fake title. But at the end of the day, you got to go get it and make sure that you put your name in the history books. Even if the Celtics had won in the bubble, I would be proud for them to be doing so, but for them to just give up on that, that's terrible to hear. It is. Um, yeah, it's funny you you joke with Laker fans. I mean, the Celtics were were also very competitive that year in the bubble, and and as we talked about, I mean, that was a team that uh, started out nine and two, and then they went, or actually, they started out ten and one that year, and then they went to the bubble. And if it wasn't for an ankle injury for Gordon Hayward and Kemba Walker with his creaky knee, I think the Celtics win the championship. But they couldn't get past Miami. Gordon Hayward had to rush back after they lost 
the first, I want to say they lost the first two. So Hayward had to come back early. He wasn't healthy and uh, the Celtics fell. But had they won that championship, I think like Laker fans, we would be counting it as a, as a legitimate championship. Listen, they're playing basketball and, you know, you're a professional. You're getting paid however many millions of dollars to, you know, win and your fans want you to play. When, the, when this went down, when, when Adam Silver announced this whole bubble concept, I did not agree with it. I mean, I, I wanted them to end the season. You know, it, it just didn't seem like the season was going to be normal. First of all, we weren't going to get to see him play in the garden. There would be no home court advantage. There'd be no fans in the stands. And these players had lives, too, and families that they were going to be leaving. We were all going through a lot with COVID. But and it was therapeutic for us to watch some of those games, you know, in a way. But I, I just thought, cancel the season. You know, I mean, MLB had a strike one year. Like, just there'll be no champion. I would have been okay with that. But the NBA needed the money, I guess. And so they forced these guys into the bubble. And, you know, Lou Williams clearly didn't want to be there. Remember that while the Clippers were in the bubble, um, Jack Harlow, I don't know if you remember this, on his Insta page, he posted a photo of him and Lou Williams, and it said something like, you'll never guess where this is. And it came out that this, this happened when Lou Williams was supposed to be like at a funeral for one of his family members or whatever. And he's holding a drink there and he's at magic city in Atlanta, a strip club. Yeah. Not where he's supposed to be. Obviously I know that was out there and kind of sparked some controversy. Listen, COVID should have take, been taken serious. I'm still happy we got a season, I guess, if that's what you want to call it. And we got to see some basketball. Like you said, we're all different, dealing with difficult times. And for the NBA to kind of push that, put these guys in a bubble and have these guys be paid to stay in Disney World and finish out the season, I'll take it. But for them to just not be bought into that and lose that and squander that opportunity... It's just awful. Yeah, and no surprise that the guy that, that goes to the strip club, and he said, well, I went to the funeral, and then I went to Magic City, but I just went there because I liked the the wings or whatever. Right, I mean, it was right. just absurd. Um, but that's par for the course for Lou Williams. And and as we've said many times, Clippers are going to clip, and, and you know, I, I feel for their fans. I know a little bit about their suffering being from San Diego. Item number six on Lucky's list, and it involves another guy, from the West Coast, Zach Levine, former UCLA star and Chicago Bulls star. I think he's one of the only guys to put up 50 this season, if I'm not mistaken, Guillermo. Um, but as you might expect, as he you know got Rich Paul to be his agent, I think, before the season, Zach Levine wants out of Chicago. It's reported now by Adrian Wojnarowski that the Bulls and Zach Levine have agreed to seek a new place for him. And it's also being reported that some of the teams that have already said they will not be in the market for him include the New York Knicks and others. Um, looks like he could end up maybe with the Lakers, maybe with Miami, Guillermo. 
It'll be interesting to see where Levine goes. He's somebody who can definitely fill in as a third piece for any of those teams and really push them to be in that same championship contending conversation that the Celtics and the Nuggets are in. And um, it's interesting to watch the Bulls go all in, trading for Vucevic and getting... DeRozan and Levine, and then now just seeing that it's not going to work and uh, possibly moving on from those pieces. I would like to see Brad be interested in other pieces on that team. Maybe uh, Caruso, Drummond, um, to see what they can possibly contribute to the Celtics if possible. You read my mind. I mean, I don't think Zach Levine is a guy that, even as a number three, we'll have to see. Maybe with the right coach. But, you know, I respect Billy Donovan a great deal, and it's just not working there. And Levine has been part of the problem, quite frankly. But the Bulls, if they're ready to raise the white flag on this season, they do have other pieces that might fit into our salary structure, our TPE, or whatever. And Alex Caruso is one of those guys. And I hadn't thought about Drummond, but, um, you know, he does fill a, a role. He's a big body. But I think Caruso's the guy that I would want. Well, I think we're going to close this Lucky's List with a, two more items. Item number seven. And um, it involves another guy with Celtic ties, Ime Odoka and the Houston Rockets. Guillermo, uh, this team is winning basketball games left and right right now. The Rockets have won their last six games. They're one of the top teams in the West. How are they doing it? Man, they're doing it as a team, and that's awesome to see. Um, Sengun, Mobley, uh, sorry, Smith Jr., uh, Green, um, Dylan the Villain. What a signing by uh, getting Van Vliet. So these guys, I mean, he's putting that defensive nature that he brought here. He's bringing that there. And to see those guys, you know, making a surge is pretty awesome to see. You know, a lot of those guys, to use this term, and, and we mean it in the most affectionate way, they are dogs. I mean, uh, you know, Dylan is one. And, and Fred Van Vliet, I mean, those guys come in, they change the culture, right? I mean, they are junkyard dogs. They will fight and scrap on every position possession. It really fits. I mean, Ime Udoka was a dog as a player. He was that guy that was physical and would do what it took defensively and do the dirty work. Um, it, you know, truth be told, he, he was kind of a dog as our, as our head coach, a great head coach for us, uh, led us to the finals, his rookie season. Could he in his rookie season or his first year with the Rockets lead this team to the NBA playoffs? I know that's a tall order, but I mean, they look like a playoff team right now. Can they sustain it? I think so. I mean, you're seeing teams regress like the Grizzlies in the West. The Clippers are on their struggle. Um, and then you have, you know, that play-in winner. They can get the 9 or 10 spot, you know. But right now they're the fourth seed, nine games in for them and can make some noise in the West, especially with some of those older teams like the Suns, Lakers, and Warriors. 
Well, let's close it out with uh, the final item on Lucky's list, which, as always, is the week ahead, Guillermo. And we we were gone for longer than a week, and and uh, you know this one though we will be back uh, in six days. Our next show is Thursday. But what can we expect between now and then? As you said, we've gotten a look at the whole Atlantic Division, which, by the way, I think is is one of the most competitive divisions in the NBA with the Knicks, the Sixers, who nobody saw being an elite team, but clearly they are, and us. Uh, But what can we expect for the next week? All right, so there's a little road trip coming up or continuing uh, from the Sixers game. The play-in season tournament game, or sorry, in-season tournament game against the Raptors tonight in Toronto at 7.30, looking for another great, in season tournament game, and uh, why do you keep listen? Nobody cares about this. Um, <laughs> okay, so we've got an, we, the Celtics looking to extend their winning streak to five again tonight yes. in Toronto. Yes. Okay. Then they take on the Grizzlies Sunday at eight o'clock. That'll be potentially the first time we see Smart versus the Celtics, depending Let's hope on his so. injury. Marcus, yeah, Marcus getting his ankle looked at again. Right now, with Derrick Rose and John ja Morant either injured or suspended and Marcus out, the Grizzlies are going with a G-leaguer at point guard, and it's hurting them a great deal. So I hope Marcus can come back. Obviously, we want to see him healthy. Uh, is that So those are games two and three on the road trip? Correct. And then an, a back-to-back against... Uh, the horn is the next night on Monday, November twentieth at seven o'clock. Okay, and then Wednesday night we're back at home. Wednesday, big game back at home, day before Thanksgiving against the Milwaukee Bucks. A lot of people talking about that game. Um, I met somebody at the airport the other day in Omaha that was flying that said, "I'm going out to Boston for that game." And I said, "Man, I'm jealous because uh, I will be I will be here uh, at U.S. Strategic Command doing my thing here." But that that's going to be a big one. But I, you know, this Raptors game tonight, um, we talked about Porzingis and Jalen Brown being questionable again for the second straight game. We'll have to see it shoot around. Right around the time you're listening to this, we will probably be seeing tweets from the the press corps. Corrales and the gang uh, about the availability of either of them. Hopefully Jalen Brown can recover from whatever bug he has. And, uh, you know, Porzingis as well. We also were remiss and I pointed out now that Al Horford is also on the injury, was also on the injury report with a sprained toe. He's considered probable for the game, but uh, having three of the super six on the injury report does not make me feel good going into a, a game against the Raptors, who are not a great offensive team, but they are tough, they are scrappy, and they play very good defense, Guillermo. Yeah, again, it's an in-season tournament game that I want them to win and continue to build their margin and point differential. Uh, so, do you, do you really want them to win the game more because of this stupid tournament than you than you did before? <laughs> I want them to win every game, but it just holds a little bit more weight being an in-season tournament game. I mean, for me, it's like I want them to win. You know, it's like watch Celtics Twitter, right? I mean, you look at these people 
And the stuff that they say about Missoula and Jalen and stuff, when one thing goes wrong, it's like, calm down, people. But no, I, I can relate because every game is so important to Correct. my general mental and physical well-being. Correct. I mean, every regular season game is is super huge. I don't need this tournament. If anything, if the Celtics lose one of these tournament games, that will be the that will be the silver lining for me that, that we may not have to go to Las Vegas for a meaningless championship game, but it was pointed out by, I think it was Anthony Davis or, or one of these star players that the money is a big motivation for a lot of these players and not just, you know, not just the Delano Bantons of the world, but the stars want that 500 grand. Listen, these guys are competitive and that's, you know, Possibly another watch, car, house, something that they can buy with. Um, but these guys are competitive, and I even heard Tatum like how it would be awesome to win the inaugural in-season tournament NBA Cup. Um, that's not the goal. The Larry O'Brien and hanging a banner is a goal, but to just add that motivation in season. Why not? Let's get after it. Well, the Celtics have some very competitive type A alpha dogs on their team. I somewhat, Sometimes I wonder if they're just being nice and not trying to piss off Adam Silver, but <laughs> I know that they want to win this game no matter what. And as we talked about, the Celtics are trying to do something really special this year. And I think they, you know, are being measured frequently now against the 2008 team. And that means that you know, that team, which started out 10 and one is one game ahead of our current Celtics. And so they're going to want to, I think, win two of the next three on this road trip. And that's what I think would constitute a successful road trip was if we could get two. And I want this game against the Raptors because it is a divisional game. So I think that's the most important game this week is the game tonight. And we'll see how many of those three guys are able to play. If it's all three, I feel pretty good about our chances, Guillermo. Yeah, I mean, we always shoot for one game at a time, but I think it'd be awesome to go up against the Milwaukee Bucks on a, you know, nine, seven, sorry, seven game winning streak playing at home in the garden. I know it's going to be electric um, regardless, but that'll be just another cherry on top as far as anticipation for that game. You know, one thing I think Joe Missoula, because he's such a good human being and he knows he knows the buttons to push as far as motivating his players. I think we're going to see O'Shea Brissett get a good opportunity tonight, being in his home country of Canada. And uh, so I look forward to that matchup, and I look forward to seeing all of you guys next week on our show. Sorry we were gone for so long, but you know Guillermo's wife would not let him bring the microphone <laughs> to Spain. Uh, Guillermo, final thoughts. Uh, it's just we're, we're riding this emotional high. I, by the way, hats off to you for doing this show jet lag. Um, but final thoughts for this week. Yeah, excited to see how the team wraps up the three games left on the road trip. Uh, hopefully they can get healthy and make it a big marquee matchup for the day before Thanksgiving against the Bucks. Um, love what I'm seeing from this team. I hope they continue to gel and grow in confidence with each other. Move the rock. Listen, they're number one in rebounds. And I remember the Brad Stevens era of his coaching career, we were struggling with rebounds. So to own the boards 
It's tremendous to see continue to attack that paint and uh, just love what I'm seeing from the Celtics so far. Love it. Love it. Well, I love it as well. And uh, I will be watching the Celtics from my living room here in Bellevue. If you're in the New England area and you want to head up to Portland and see Jordan Walsh make his debut there at the Expo Center there, do so. Um, and we will see you here next week. Thank you for joining us. Happy to have you back in Lucky's Lounge, and we'll see you next week. Have a great week, everybody.